Hello, you're listening to Abiding Life Studios. I'm Noah Wells, and today in the studio I have Marshall Reeves. He is from San Antonio, Texas. Hi. And on the phone we have Tim Lester, and he is near D.C. That's me. Hi, everybody. And today I wanted to talk about um, Marshall and I, you know, he's been out here for uh, about six days, and we've been having some great fellowship together, some great talks. And we went out to dinner the other night, and he was explaining to me about divorce and what it says, I think, what the meaning of it was in the Bible. Is that correct, Marshall? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so for me, it's, I don't know, I'm sure for a lot of people out there who have been divorced will agree with this, is when you have been divorced, you feel pretty scared to tell other believers that I have been divorced because... The judgment on that? Yep. Well, what, are, what are you guys feeling on that? I mean, the, the problem I've had with the whole discussion for a long time is in our enthusiasm for, you know, telling people, hey, listen, just don't throw your marriage away because uh, your mate has an annoying tick or something that's wrong with them, or even because you've been offended by them. Uh, I, I get that we need to put up as many breaks as we can on people just throwing their marriages away. Uh, and that's one discussion, and we that's not today's discussion. I mean, it's legitimate to say we want to do everything we can do to encourage people to uh, to let God what he want, do what he wants to do in their marriage and remain in their marriage, faithful in their marriage, and honor God with their life and all that stuff. That's true. That's one legitimate discussion. But here's a second legitimate discussion is, is that we, in our enthusiasm for accomplishing that we keep marriages together, uh, for a lot of years, and depending on what circles you in, you are in, even today, we spend a lot of time just driving people into self-condemnation that have actually experienced a divorce. And, you know, and it, it has been said for years, I'm certainly not the only one that said this, that functionally we've treated divorce like it's an unforgivable sin. And uh, even when there was sin involved in the, the thing. Then on top of that, you have folks that find themselves divorced, and quite frankly, it's been said for years, uh, it certainly has been said to me over and over again, well, you know, it takes it takes two people uh, to get a divorce, and I want to be very clear, I want to go on record, I know this is a podcast, it does not take two people to insist on the divorce. Yeah, I meet people all the time, people who love Christ, who are struggling to keep their marriages together, and if my mate will not move with Christ. Uh, then I could very well find myself in a place where uh, I'm at a place of divorce because of my mate's unwillingness to uh, remain in the marriage and so on. And I, I'm not trying to get into the intricacies of things, but one of the things, as I understand, I would, I'd really be interested in discussing today is this issue of this condemnation that comes, uh, that moves past the sincere desire to keep marriages together and actually destroys people uh, in the way that they uh, uh, think about marriage and so and, and about people that have been divorced. So, you know, that's, that's where I'd weigh in on the thing to start off anyway. Well, I would say, Noah, that um, the, the problem that we uh, experience and, and, and this sense of being a uh, second-class Christian or a, right. or a somewhat of a illegitimate child in the body of Christ because we've been through divorce is is absolutely a misunderstanding of of initially who we are in Christ. 
those feelings of condemnation and unacceptableness and unworthiness are purely the result of the lie that we are separated from God and separated from each other as a result. It's, um, it's living out of image and not out of identity because we have perfected these images both within ourselves and in the body of Christ of what a real Christian looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, a real Christian doesn't do this and doesn't do that. And therefore, we have created a prison for ourselves <laughs> and one that creates an awful lot of confusion, frustration, anger, depression, whatever. Well, if I, if I can't meet this image, then that means that I am delegitimatized. Uh, that I am not as good as so-and-so. And once we go down the path of comparison, we are in deep trouble. The Lord addresses us as individuals, one-on-one, -on -one, with him and in him. The thing about marriage is you have to understand, first of all, that it is ordained and blessed by God. And it is not, as most of us would assume, uh, either through ignorance or uh, misunderstanding that it is a contract. And I hear that said a lot, the marriage contract. It was never designed to be a contract. It is not a contract. A contract is simply the sharing of goods and services, one with another, for a price. And if you don't meet my expectations in that process, then uh, the contract is, is not satisfactory. Uh, and it is... Um, null and void. God calls marriage a covenant, and a covenant is something altogether different from a contract. It is, if you study it, anything about it at all, particularly in ancient times, you find that it is, it is not contractual. It is literally a life for a life. Hmm. Uh, and if you observe the, the, the covenant ritual, it, it will include things like sharing one another's robe. It'll be breaking bread together, sharing of commingling of blood, usually in the wrist or the hand. Well, these are the things that we see in Jesus' sacrifice uh, as he became a man and died for each one of us and was resurrected and raised again because if anybody understands covenant, it was Jesus. And he says that this is something that's unbreakable without death because in covenant, when we pledge a life for a life, that means that anything that you need that I have or anything that you have that I need it is completely uh, mutual. It is absolutely, it's, it represents absolute oneness and union. And you fail to deliver that in my hour of need, then the penalty for it is death. We see in the Abrahamic covenant that when the smoking furnace and the fiery torch walk between the animals that had been slaughtered, the message was this covenant relationship is absolutely binding. And the penalty for it, if you were to break it, either person is what you see along either side of what we're walking in, and that's these dead and mutilated animals. In other words, it was death. 
Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that when two enter into this covenant, they become one. They actually become something new. They are no longer Noah and Shea. Mm -hmm. They are Noah Shea, (laughs) if you will. You, You are one person, inseparable, bonded together and brought into union by the very word of God himself. Because God created us that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, uh, he created a man, but within that man was the woman. That was so union, that's the oneness, that's the interpenetration, if you will, the hypostasis, if you want to get theologic about it, to persons occupying the same space and time. They are so one. So if you uh, anyone that I've ever spoken to, including experienced personally, I might add, when you go through a divorce, <clears throat> it's more than simply, well, that's yours and this is mine. I'll take this, you take mm-hmm. that, and we'll just split the sheets and part our ways. It's far deeper than that. Everyone who goes through it, and I don't care what the circumstances of the divorce were, you feel like something has been torn out of you, Mm -hmm. and you can hardly explain it. You might try to rationalize, and you might try to justify, well, you know, she did this and he did that, but the result is the same. It is a tearing apart of two people back into two individuals again, and therein is the death, and that's the word of God that says the breaking of covenant results in death. So we then revert back to an individual still in Christ, I might add, and Christ is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We are still, he does not condemn us for divorce. This is something, this is simply some of that living in the moment. And you might get some mail on this one, (laughs) Noah. But I don't think that God condemns anyone who's been through divorce because it is simply another thing that we don't get quite right Mm -hmm. in our flesh and, and influenced heavily by the world, by sin, by Satan, that it seems like the right thing to do at the time. Mm-hmm. I also might add that I believe that there are times that God would, in his tender mercy and loving kindness, say, I believe you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can all think of circumstances wherein it is, it is absolutely mentally, emotionally, and bodily dangerous to continue in a relationship with certain people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the question becomes, was it a mistake going in? Was it an accumulation of the mistakes in the process? Or was it simply, it is time for these two individuals who have become one to continue their path separate from one another? So, so this idea is, is laced in, in absolute spiritual truth that we have tried to, to make a symptom of, of the times or the symptom of our lives. It's simply so often not recognizing the spiritual world that we live in that is pervasive, that it is that we are a, 
not only a part of, but immersed in. And the Lamb of God said that no matter what happens in your life, I've taken those things away. The, those things are things that went into, were, were crucified at the cross and went into the grave. So we're, we're forced to learn from our experiences. And it kind of goes back to what I said in the earlier podcast, that our experience, often as harsh and difficult and messy as it can be, is designed to reveal reality to us. Hmm. That, that we can't deny that things happen in our lives, including mm-hmm. divorce. It's very tragic, and especially when it involves children, and we see the kind of uh, the results of that. But at the same time, we have to know that he works these things for our good if we will simply allow that to, to happen. Uh, I work all things. What an outrageous statement, especially in the middle of those kind of moments. I mean, when you, all you can see is, is devastation, uh, despondency, hopelessness, uh, I'll never be worthy again. Look what I have done. This, this is, uh, as you alluded to, Tim, it's, it's often considered almost the uh, unforgivable sin because you are blemished. And yet mm-hmm. the Lord says, I present you to my Father unblemished, holy, and righteous. And that's the way he sees us. And if that's the way God sees us, then it is so. So yep. we've got to get over our flesh, and we've got to get over you know, right. our mistakes uh, what God, what the enemy means for evil, and that includes sin, Satan, and the world, God means for good. Now you gotta, you gotta take that. You gotta bite it off, and it might take some digesting for a while, quite, a, quite a while. But we'll begin to see because the light of of truth always reveals the love of God in it, and His compassion, His forgiveness, His restoration. There is life after divorce, I'm here to tell you. Uh, I've personally experienced it, and I think each one of us uh, here today can attest to that. Uh, It may not seem like it in the moment, (laughs) but there is, because he's faithful. Yep, yep. Well, there's a a couple of thoughts that I, you know, I'd just like to appreciate that, Marshall, and uh, three things I'd like for people listening. I had a fellow here recently say to me, discussing you know exactly what we're talking about here and he said tim so what you're saying is is that uh, if a person gets a divorce and the scenario that he was giving me was a person who had sinned he had been unfaithful with his mate and as a result it, it resulted in in uh the breakup of his marriage and so on so said what you're telling me is that guy's sin is not stronger than jesus's ability to bring about life in his mate who he was unfaithful against and his life and the life of his children. And I thought, wow, this is great. That guy got it. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying you didn't sin. I'm, I'm just saying your sin is not stronger than God's ability to bring that about. Well, it was really interesting to me. He says, that's heresy. And that was his comment to me. And I said, well, okay, uh, how is that? He says, because you're giving permission for people like me to sin. And I said, did I ever say that it was a a good thing you did that? 
that the scriptures support the choice that you made to be unfaithful to your mate? He says, no. And I said, well, brother, I'm not saying it's a license for you to go do disobedience. I'm just saying your stupidity is not stronger than Jesus. And, well, he didn't appreciate that I called him stupid, and perhaps that was a little over the line. But you, you get my point <laughs> is, is when we start having this discussion, it seems like we want to mix all the discussions together. And so we say, if God in his grace can take the brokenness that we experience and somehow take us to a place of, of freedom and obedience, and more specifically, to your point, Marshall, to understand that even if I was the one that was most at fault or completely at fault in the whole thing, the whole weight of the thing falls on me, that while I sinned and God will deal with me because he loves me about that thing, uh, I am still loved and accepted by him, and his grace covers me. His grace will draw me. His loving kindness will uh, call me back to the place, to the full life that he promised in John chapter 10. Well, so... One of the things I'd caution the people listening is don't don't get bent out of shape when we have these discussions because there are several things that are true about these this thing we're talking about, which is divorce. Uh, there's a whole other discussion that we can talk about uh, that's out there right now, and we don't have time to get into this detail, but there's all kinds of opinions about divorce as it relates to children, and, and frankly, folks have made some very, very, very good observations about that. And it's true that some people have been awakened to realize that they'd be given up on a marriage that they shouldn't give up on, and the reality is is they're having to see their kids fall apart as a result of it. That's a legitimate conversation to have. But on the other hand, I would tell you this, that they're, uh, that God's in charge of my, my kids as well, and, and if my kids happen to be the uh, very unfortunate recipient of living in a family that is divorced, incredible brokenness, incredible hurt, and those kinds of things. But Christ's ability to speak into their life is not beyond what was perpetrated upon them. And the truth is, is and I could say this about you, Marshall, because I know your history. No, I could say this about you and your history, not even thinking about marriage. There's some pretty hard knocks that you guys took along the way. I mean, some real devastation that happened in your life along the way. Not in relationship to the issue of divorce necessarily, but just things in life that have really knocked and things even from a childhood standpoint that were very, very difficult. And uh, I'd just like to point out that those things, I know for a fact, have been a part of what Christ has used in a very specific way to point out your need for Him. And because of that, it is partly in, in relationship to God's working in spite of those hurts and wounds that have happened. That um, that you're at the place where you are in your in your relationship with Christ today, and I'm not saying that. So let's 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 throw a party that kids get to be hurt, uh, and that it's a good thing if they get hurt by divorce. No, I'm saying that Christ in His compassion is watching for your kids as well, and He's making plans to bring about the resolution of the hurt of those things in their lives. I even understand that there may be some people who are listening. Uh, to this podcast that I've had were were part of a family situation where there was uh, divorce. And you say, well, I'm still reeling uh, from the hurt from that happened in my family. I, I seriously get that. My point to you would be Christ would very much like to enter into your life experience. He, he would very much like to not only uh, deal with 
from an eternal perspective, but understanding that he would like to grant you eternal life. He would be willing to be a part of, he loves you, and he wants to deal with the hurt that other people have perpetrated upon you. And so while we're not saying in any way, I want this to be clear, oh, wow, it's really great that divorce is a part of the human experience. It's not. It's horrific. It's horrible. As you have pointed out, Marshall, it's incredibly tearing to us. It literally that brings about a death. But Christ is in the business of resurrecting us. That's right. And I might add that uh, Jesus himself said, what has the living to do with the dead? I, uh, that marriage is dead. God yep. is not into the death business. He's into the life business. Mm. We move yep. on. Uh, it is simply another experience in our lives. And, and let's be honest about it. The reason that we're here today, uh, and don't mis- misunderstand what I'm saying, but the, but the reason we are here today that in God's grace, every it has taken everything we have experienced to be who we are right now. Yep. And when we can take that and chew it up and swallow it, then we begin to see something. All Our priorities begin to change, and they begin to shift from the image that we've had of ourselves— as well as the image that we have of who God is, mm-hmm. and turn it into the reality of identities, who we yep. truly are. You know, it's amazing, and in, in Psalms 22, it makes a pretty broad statement. It says that, uh, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust when I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. Well, if we think about that, whose loving arms were we cast into from the womb at birth? We were cast into his. And he knows us so perfectly and so intimately. He knew everything that would be required of us to understand who he is. And the thing that we tend to forget is that when Christ becomes our life, that that life is is eternal, which means there is no beginning and there is no end, right? So if our life is his life, everything we've experienced in our life goes in him now, goes backward and forward. It is all of the past, all of our past, and all of his past, as well as all of our future in all of his future. So it, it goes both ways. We, we tend in the church today to create this imaginary point where, well, I trusted Christ today, so everything forward is my life in him. And he says, no, 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 no. My life is eternal I was there with you, and of, oh, we're speaking, of course, in, in an eternal sense. He, I was with you when you were born. I knew you, Ephesians 1 tells us, before the foundations of the world. And this is why, because the life we're in precedes the foundation of the world, and the life that we're in will go beyond the world. And we, we don't really think about that very often. So all that has happened in my life was necessary for me to come to know 
who he is in me, including the tragedies, including the devastations, including the, the deep, deep hurts and wounds. All of those things form the person that we are, each, each one of us. Uh, we, we simply cannot deny reality, so there must be another reason. And I'm not talking fatalism, that you had to do this and had to do that. What I'm saying is God is bigger than, than time and space. He is actually, I, I believe we ride the crest of time with him. I think our reality is, is being made as we go with him. That's how yeah. powerful that relationship is. He brings himself to meet us where we are, exactly where we are, in the moment. Mm. So I don't know what the next moment holds, but whatever it is, we're going to experience it together. Yeah. And therein is the comfort. There's mm-hmm. the faith. There's mm-hmm. the, the peace and the rest. So it's it's time we get over this idea of, I my identity is all the things I do. God forbid. I mean, we'd all yep. be done. Uh, stick yep. a fork in us. Uh, yep. What He is revealing to us is who we are, and yep. it's 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 a process, and it takes a lot of mistakes. But He makes. Hey, no, I wanted to ask good. you a question. Just astounding. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering, uh, you know, because you said when you went through that experience yourself at that time, and I remember that. I don't can't say I remember specific words you were speaking back then, but but that that was a pretty dark place for you, and I'm not talking about what happened, uh, the details of what happened as much as I am, what you were referring to in terms of the, the, you know, you were feeling like such a loser or, you know, that you couldn't get it right or whatever else. And I'm just wondering if you could speak briefly about how Christ kind of brought you out of that in terms of your sen- your internal sense of who you really were and your your value apart from the fact that, you know, and I'm speaking what you would have been thinking back then was, I've completely failed this, I've failed at marriage, I'm a no-hoper, and so on. I just wonder if you could speak a little bit to the issue of how Christ brought you along. Yeah, I mean, when I was going through all that, I was talking to God every hour, (laughs) trying to um, get it figured out. Uh Uh, I I remember talking with my dad, and... He he gave me, I think, like 20 different things to do. And he goes, you know, if I were you, I would do everything in your power. He goes, even if it does fail, the marriage, at least you know for yourself you've done everything. Yep. And so I did that. I went through those steps and tried to make that work. And towards the end, I was, I think I was, I lost 30 pounds during it. And I was basically dying. And so... You know, I can relate a lot with what Marshall was saying. Like, when we finally separated, it did feel like a death. It really did feel like I was dying. Yeah. And afterwards, yeah, I felt, uh, like you are saying, Tim, I felt worthless. Um, failure, for sure. Ever since I was a kid, I th- thought I'd be in ministry. So I thought once I divorced, that's it for me. No ministry. You know, I'll just be a painter my whole life, and that's it. Right. And... Well, God didn't see it that way. It was just another another learning lesson for me. And I learned a lot in that. I learned a lot about myself. A lot, I learned a lot about how God doesn't leave you. Uh-huh. And he just he stuck with me through the 
darkness of that. But it is, it is funny to me that I still, I guess I still care what people might think of me if I do say I've been divorced. Yep. I'm sure that makes sense to you guys and probably the listeners as well. Absolutely. You still care so much what people think. Right. Even though the Lord, even though the Lord knows exactly the dark place I've been, and He He held my hand through that. So I don't know. So I mean, the, I guess the best way, the Lord let me go through it, and yep. I walked with Him, and He walked with me. Yep. And we both just went through it together, and it took years to kind of come out of that depression. I think. Yep. But when I finally came out of it. I was there with the Lord, and the Lord was with me. That's right. And then we moved on to the next thing. Well, he says, I will never, never, ever leave you or forsake you. He's, he's not into death. He's into healing and wholeness, and he yeah. promises that. And it's just like when we have children, and we try to teach them the best we can. <laughs> you know, we were just talking about that before the broadcast, Tim. And uh, you do the best you can, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but... There are there are many things in life that we have to learn on our own. Yeah. And very often it's the hard way. Yep. Yeah. And there's there's no shame in that. We're human beings, and the Lord knows that. Uh, he has made us. Well, He uses those things to reveal, to remove the darkness. That darkness is those that image, that pretentiousness that we think that. Uh, we're better than that, uh, or at least should behave better than that, and try to and again try to convince somebody else of that, even if I don't believe it myself. <laughs> you know, maybe they right. believe it about me, whether I do or not. Uh, and, and it just, you know, it's just a can of worms. I mean, it's um, when we go there, but the Lord removes that through those kind of heartbreaking experiences in our lives. He removes what is dead and that's that's the lie about who we are in order to reveal the our reality mm-hmm. and we, you know it just takes that sometimes we choose yep. Yep. and he doesn't make it he doesn't force it <laughs> he's simply there in the moment with us no matter what's going on working it to the good and the proof that we that that's true is we're here today well, if I can, uh, we're kind of winding down here, so if you guys are okay with it, there's a couple of things I'd like to say just to kind of close out uh, what we're doing. And if you have, know sure. if you have any yeah. closing comments, I'll give you to close this off here. But uh, a couple, three things. I, th- I thought it was really interesting. You were, I was listening very carefully as you were talking about the journey you had when you were in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I'd like to remind you, just said it, and I, not that you, you said it well. I just want to reemphasize it, is that... In the middle of all that, through all the brokenness, the hurt, the anxiety, whatever else might have been there, the depression, your emphasis was you were walking with Christ through the middle of it. And things I tell people all that one of the things I try to make a, when I'm appealing to people that are not Christ followers, is they listen. Right. Uh, everybody, if you're going through something like this, you get to go through it, period. You can like going through it, not like going through it, but you are going to go through it. The question is, is, do you do you want to do this either with your own personal willpower and determination? Because I guarantee you, that finally wears out. When you've been beat up enough, you just wear out. And or do you want to depend on somebody else? And, and by the way, you may have great friends, but the truth is, 
my friends, they get weary of that too. You know, and I know we have this fantasy idea that, you know, my friends are with me thick and thin, but they can only offer so much help. And I'm not, I'm not beating up on people. I'm glad you have friends. But the truth is, is friends can only offer so much solace. They can only offer so much help. And literally, this is what I tell people, and it's, no, it's exactly what you're talking about. I may be depressed. I may have anxiousness. I, this may be a struggle. But Christ is holding me together in the middle of all of my brokenness. So that's the first thing I heard. I wanted to reemphasize in what, what you were saying. The second thing I'd, I'd like to mention is this. In your, um, in your Paul's book, uh, My Weakness for His Strength, he talks about this subject of uh, divorce. And while I won't go through the whole devotional that he talks about there, one of the points that he makes is in, in the world of Christianity, we have a tendency to run to one to two extremes. One of them is if you get divorced for any reason, no matter what, you sinned, and you're almost to the point of, like we were talking about earlier that I referenced, that's almost unforgivable sin. And, uh, you know, you can still hang around us, but you'll never do anything uh, of any value for the kingdom, uh, and you just need to stay over there and be quiet, you know, that kind of thing. So that one extreme and uh, heaping on a large amount of uh, self-condemnation, or even to the extreme of saying it, it, there is absolutely zero reason a person would ever get a divorce for any reason, period. So there's one extreme. The other extreme is the people who say, well, hey, listen, it didn't work out. God forgives you, so just go on your way, get after it. God's going to fix it because he loves us so much and so on. And we, we take those two extremes and nobody ever deals with the real issues. And the first of those real issues, uh, relative to what you were talking about, Marshall, is this internal sense of the place of value that I have, my, my wholeness, my completeness, because I've heard from the creator of the universe, and he has come to be my life. That's one issue. The secondly, of the kinds of things that would have brought the insanity of behavior that would even cause a divorce to begin with. We, we, don't, we don't deal with those issues. And so, I, uh, first of all, I'd point people to the article that he wrote in that particular book or either one of the volumes, one or two. But I'm just saying that, that I agree with what Mike said, that either one of those string extremes don't get it. I don't know if you know it now, but in Europe they have a thing they call trial marriages now. And the idea is, is if you're a young adult, you should get er married early and have your first trial marriage. And the idea is, is that I'll just figure out what doesn't work, the first one, go ahead and get a divorce, and then the next time around I'll get it better. I'll remind folks of a couple of practical things. Number one, the thing Marsha was saying about that we are given oneness when we get married, oneness is not something you work towards in an emotional stability kind of way. Yes, I can grow together more emotionally, but oneness is something that God does when people choose to be together. And so mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you call it a trial marriage. When you rip it apart, it still does what the two of you guys were talking about. It rips your heart out. Something dies. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The second thing I point out to you, depending on whose statistics you want to believe, certainly most people agree that the, the divorce rate for second marriages is somewhere between 70 to 74%. That means only three out of four of them the second time around uh, uh, fall apart. That's Christians, people who say who name Christ, and those who don't name Christ. So I want you to recognize, just from a very pragmatic, a very practical standpoint, the whole idea that 
divorce is no big deal, it doesn't hurt that bad, you just kind of go on with life, lick your wounds and move on, it isn't all that easy. Number one, it's not all easy in just the reality of being human, but secondly, to do it without uh, Christ in your life and Him doing the kind of healing that needs to happen, it, it, frankly, from my perspective, is completely insane. The last thing I'd point out is this. I want everyone to hear this because I'm sure there'll be a few phone calls about this podcast. I've been in ministry uh, outside of Abiding Life Ministry uh, in local church settings, uh, either for a youth pastor or a youth minister in a various other settings in preaching, teaching, and discipleship, and so on. I have. There are plenty of great, very sincere ministries out there that work to help people grow in their marriages with each other, understand how to walk with Christ, and honor Christ with their life and marriage. But I want everyone to hear, lest you think, because... Uh, of the discussion today from the podcast that we don't believe in investing time, energy, and effort in helping people work out the issues that God is trying to get them to deal with in in a marriage that's gone uh, to a very dark place and people are considering separation or divorce. I want you to understand something. One of the things among the many things that's kept me uh, working with, uh, with Abiding Life Ministries all these years is I don't know of any ministry that hangs on longer and challenges people to see what Christ wants to do in the middle of this incredibly broken marriage more than abiding life. In other words, I'm saying they work harder than anybody else I know, or at least as hard as anybody else I know, in terms of, of, of encouraging people to invite Christ into their marriage relationship to bring about the restoration we'd love to see happen in any marriage that's troubled. But by the same token, if that marriage does not survive, they work harder than anybody else for people to understand how to trust Christ for the healing that can come even after the devastating breakup of a marriage. And I want people to hear that because we believe Christ is in the business of life. And it Amen. even has to do with a marriage that's falling apart. Amen. Well said. Well, and so uh, uh, that's all I have for today. Noah? No, that's good. Thanks, guys. Uh, I hope whoever's listening out there, this helps you guys. Yeah, great. And, uh, Marshall, you got anything else? Appreciate being a part of it. Thank you for the honor and the privilege. Hope to do it again sometime. All right, wraps it up for this podcast. And don't forget about the AbidingLife.com, Facebook, and the Instagram we have. Thank you. <laughs>